Bye. <laughs> Bye, Tom. See you next year. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that true? I'm, I'm getting in the zone. I'm pretending oh, that today is New Year's Eve. Ah. Uh, I'm a method actor. Is that what it's called? Method acting? It is. And uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> all right. Let's rock and roll. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Bike Shed. I'm Steph. And I'm Chris. And we're developers here at ThoughtBot hoping to share a few of our adventures with you each week. So today is New Year's Eve and Chris and I would like to thank everybody for joining us throughout this year and being part of The Bike Shed. It's a pretty big day. How are you feeling, Chris? I'm feeling great. I mean, I feel the need to be honest. It's not actually New Year's Eve for us. (laughs) We are projecting far into the future, uh, but due to our holiday schedule and things, this should drop on New Year's Eve. But the other things you said about thanking the audience, I definitely feel that those are true. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening throughout the year and for sending in questions and uh, being a fantastic audience. So as part of our final episode for this year, that feels so heavy to Mm. say. This is our final episode for 2019. So today's episode is going to be a little different. We're going to talk about some of our favorite things from this year. And then we're also going to include some of our bloopers from the year as well. Tom has collected, I imagine, this amazing list of all the silly things you and I have said. So Tom is going to incorporate some of those bloopers into this episode. I'm frankly very excited to hear this episode when it goes live because I have no idea what we've said in the many, many episodes and all the things that have hit the cutting room floor. So I am too. I think you and I have talked about this, that every time there's a new episode that's ready for us to do show notes, even if I'm not doing the show notes, I immediately listen to the intro just because it's, in my opinion, like the best part. Yep. And now there'll be a bunch of intros, but strung throughout the whole episode. Hopefully everybody else enjoys them. (laughs) Good luck, everybody. You might say something goofy, and I want you to be on mic for that. I would never. <laughs> you say sensible things. Mm, very sensible. Doubleheader podcast day. Oh. It's quite the day, and you're yawning now. It took a lot out of you. You're giving a lot of opinions at lunch, too. I was like, you're talking a lot at lunch for like how much you're going to be talking later. Calm it down. <laughs> Save it. Save it for the mic. <laughs> oh, we can do that. I can. It may get weird. We can ease into this. (laughs) I mean, I think that's what the people want. Because the weird. Gotta catch all my good words. The words would still have been fine. It's just less... Wobbly bobbly? Jiggling. Mm. Really hear that jiggle. (laughs) All right, I'm leaving. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Bike Shed. I'm Steph. And I'm Chris. And we're here to... Yeah, feel free to make whatever feels like the least awkward. Good luck, everybody. Hang on tight. We're going to segue. <laughs> going to segue. <laughs> not the really, like, dorky, like, looking little segues. Not the <laughs> no, those are great. I'm sorry. Not dorky. But they're dorky. <laughs> I'm not that sorry. That's not important. I just thought it was fun. No, it's fun. I didn't even mention it on um, on the thing, the place where we do the talkie talk. You know the one. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Used all my words already. <laughs> and that's a show. We made it 216 episodes, folks. <sighs> Got to throw in the towel now, though. We're out of, out of words. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Bike Shed. What? what you, you can... Oh. I don't say I'm Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a very hard, like, like what? <laughs> All right. Cool, good I'm start. such a professional. <laughs> this is what professional podcasting looks like, I'm almost certain. Okay.
The thing that might be nice about bringing that stuff up is because then people can ask you and be like, hey, what do you think of it? Yeah. Like they've been doing with the keyboards. Yeah, engage the audience. Engage I like it. Audience. Yeah. <laughs> Eyes got all wide. Engaged. <laughs> Not like in a weird way, though. <laughs> Talk to the people. <laughs> Turns out there are no more keyboards. Ooh, different types of keyboards. Oh, keyboards. Yeah. We do actually get to talk about keyboards today. I mean, we could always talk about you, keyboards, you, but. You. <laughs> <laughs> what? So in regards to some of the favorite things that we've had this year, uh, I can kick it off with some of the stuff that I feel like has been a theme, our top 10 theme of mm. 2019. So I'll start with what may be one of the obvious one, uh, mechanical keyboards has clearly been a theme for you I'm and I. I'm familiar. What are, what are mechanical keyboards? <laughs> the, the clickety-clackety, you know, the the ones we spend too much time talking about. Don't you about use the Apple keyboards that come with the computer? No. <laughs> Have you regressed? <laughs> no, no, no. I've gone too far, frankly. Did you end up sending the one that you had back? I've printed out the thing that I'm supposed to, I'm hopefully doing that right after this episode. But currently, yes, I do own three mechanical keyboards. Yes, thank you. Oh, uh, so your new one arrived. The new one arrived. I have the two at home uh, and I've updated my setup. I now have Carabiner Elements, which is like a keyboard mapping thing on my computer. And now both at home and at work because they're the same keyboard, all of the stuff does the right things. I've been able to map like the right alt key does command, which the dip switch will change the left alt key, but I needed software control for the right and a bunch of little tweaks. But now it's fantastic. I'm so happy about it. So has that been really easy to use? How do you hook up the software to your keyboard? Because I need to do the same process for mine. I don't know how it actually hooks into the like, it feels like it needs to be at a lower level process or something like that, but whatever, it, it's magic. It just works. Uh, Brew install Carabiner Elements is the way I got started. And then from there, they have a thing where you can just press any key and it will show what it's observing. So it kind of like lets you watch the event stream from the keyboard and then be like, oh, that's what the key is that I'm pressing go over to the other pane and set the modifier key that you want it to be or whatever. It's very, very straightforward. And it has a dot file. So Ooh. like a JSON config file that you can put into your dot files. So it's like everything I ever wanted. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. I know what I'm going to be doing this weekend because I need to play around with that and uh, fix the escape key on my keyboard so I don't accidentally close myself out of stuff anymore when I'm trying to do a back tick instead. Cool. All right. So yeah, uh, mechanical keyboards has definitely been a theme and I think will continue into 2020, at least for me, because I admitted to someone on Twitter that I have my eye on the ErgoDoc set as well. I even thought about ordering the set thinking that if I'm taking time off for Christmas, I could spend that week learning the ErgoDoc set. I, I haven't committed to it yet. So what's one of your themes from this year? Increasingly of late, Vim has been a theme for me, which has been a theme for many years. Uh, I've been using Vim for a while. I've really enjoyed Vim, but it was interesting. As this year was starting, maybe it was the end of last year, I continued to love Vim, but I kept looking at other things, being like, ah, man, Vim just isn't quite keeping up is how I felt. And it's only in the past probably month or month and a half now that I've started to move over to NeoVim and the language server stuff, and it's finally starting to, I think, live up to the promise. That Vim feels like an IDE and is still the best text editor in the world. And so it's been sort of a resurgence for me. And I've noticed it within the office as well. There were a lot of folks who had jumped over to VS Code for a little while, but have now come back to Vim because it's just good enough. And to be clear, for anyone that's listening, if you were to try Vim right now, you'd be like, what is this janky nonsense? Because that's the state that we're at, but we're willing to power through because we love Vim so much. <laughs> I like that you just referred to Vim as janky nonsense. <laughs> Particularly NeoVim and the language server and the async and the pop-up windows, like sometimes they don't repaint. And there's a lot of subtle brokenness that I'm willing to deal with because the editing experience in Vim is so much better. 
the idea of how Vim works is, I think, one of one of the better ideas that we've had in a while as humans. So mm. I'm super into it, and I'm willing to deal with some of that. But I, it's not something that I would necessarily recommend to folks if they weren't similarly inclined as I am. Mm. But I'm super happy with where it's at and also the direction that I see it going. It's it's on a good path, and I think it will keep getting better and keep evolving and improving and keeping up with the other things because the nature of the whole language server magic is everybody. it's a rising tide lifts all ships sort of thing. So yay, Vim. Yeah. Well, and having you as one of the new users of that system will help a lot as well. Just because as you're exploring, that's going to help the rest of the office also be on the board with it. It always helps when there's someone in the ThoughtBot office that's sort of like championing a particular subject. So the rest of us can learn from that person as well. We share the learning. Uh, and in this case, it's not me, actually. It's Will Fish, who is, uh, Ooh, okay. he's the one that's been leading the charge. And I just straight up copied his dot files for this. But I'm trying now to like lean into it a little bit more because I had put it off for a while, not thinking it would be worth the effort. But I was watching Will work one day and I was like, whoa, what's all this going on on your screen? Vim looks better than it used to. And he shared all of his uh, configurations with me and they've been good is the word I will choose to describe it. Fantastic in some ways, <laughs> very limited in others, but very much heading in the right direction. So Vim is a theme and I expect will continue to be a theme for me in 2020. Uh, so let's see, going back to my list, one of the things that has been a theme for me this year, it has for the others, but it's been stronger this year is mentorship, where I've had more opportunities to mentor some of the client developers that I've worked with. But also I got to be a mentor for the first time in ThoughtBot, where we brought on Anthony Maffa as a apprentice, and he is now a full-time developer. And so that was a really fun experience that I was nervous about. And I also got to help onboard someone else that was new to ThoughtBot. So yeah, that was certainly on my mind near the beginning of the year and has decreased a little bit towards the end of the year as I'm doing a little less mentorship. But it never fails to impress me that I know more than I think I do. And I just need the opportunity to sit down with someone and share that knowledge to then realize that I know more than I think I do. Yeah, teaching can often be the best form of learning or like clarifying to yourself the things that you do know or sometimes clarifying the things that you don't know. But that can be really useful is finding those edges and being like, huh. You know, now that you mention it, that question is really interesting and I don't have a good answer. Let's go find the answer together. And then you can model like you probably Google in a very specific way. And that's actually, I would say, one of the core skills that we have as developers. And so just reinforcing all of those patterns and and ways of thinking is, yeah, there's just like win, win, win sort of thing. We also have a unique situation that we're in. Not only are we developers and we're focusing on helping clients build their product, but because we're consultants, there's like an extra level of personal skills and also consulting that folds into the mentorship. So, yeah, I'm going to rank that one as my second theme for the year. Bicycle, bicycle. And having that exceptions used. Let's try again. You just say that last sentence again. Ah, we're so close. Oh, we're so close. I can do this. You pick which was your favorite. Ooh, I like them both. We'll go alphabetical. I'll go active record. <laughs> That's a good way to choose. It's a way. It's a so. way to choose. Yep. Cool. Good addition, Chris. <laughs> <clears throat> way to go, buddy. <laughs> but they. Postgres, not they, not some abstract, a bunch of people that are sitting in my database. <laughs> Ignore that, Tom, that was weird. Uh, <laughs> and I hope our users, listeners, they're users. User. <clears throat> Hello, user. User of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope user you use it to great effect. All right. Ask a great question. Now can I regurgitate honesty? <laughs> can I regurgitate honesty? Uh, oh.
That's sure. The candidness of it. Mm. Does that even matter for a podcast website, Steph? I think so. <clears throat> Another news. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> no, that was a real. Co- I'm not going to cough you off. Cough me off. Uh, <laughs> I, I just what it made me think of. I did. I try to be polite and time my coughs, but now I feel like a jerk. What's the deal with SoundClouds? <laughs> In a very, very honest way, I don't understand. Every time someone gets famous or blows up on Twitter, they share their SoundCloud. And at first I was like, cool, you got music. But then I saw other people sharing SoundClouds and I'm like, does everybody have music? Like- yes, everyone makes music stuff. And building up our backlog. Has <clears throat> our barf. <laughs> barf. Our backlog together yeah we can make a cleaner segue there and um but i don't know what it sounds like now because it's in the past and i don't exist in the past i only exist in the now you want to lead us into the next question (laughs) (laughs) let's see for my next uh theme i'm gonna say that uh, you joining the show has been a really fantastic part of this year for me uh i've really enjoyed getting to change the way the bike shed works in my world and just get to chat with you each week about development stuff I okay. Then I have to say, <laughs> we may have our top nine list <laughs> if those two cross over because I also have podcasting as one of my themes. Like it has been amazing to be a part of the bike shed and to get to chat with you each week and then get to share this with everyone else. And people have been so kind and welcoming and warm. And I've been very appreciative of all the nice things that people have said since I was very nervous in the beginning. So yeah, a big thank you to you for bringing me on the show, and a big thank you to everyone who has said nice things it's been very encouraging and i'm really looking forward to doing more of this yeah well it's like i said my pleasure and before this i i really enjoyed the structure of the show for the period where i took over and i was interviewing other thoughtbotters because i I was really excited to bring more of the thoughtbot voice into the fold but in terms of week to week being able to do this thing just sitting down and chatting with you has been i think much more straightforward but i also really enjoy that format and i've noticed in podcasts that i'm seeking out i'm looking for this sort of format where there's a little bit more of a continuing arc. Like I can follow the stories of the hosts and I know what are their tendencies or the things that they like and they don't like and more of just sitting in on a conversation rather than the interview structure. So I've personally really enjoyed it. I hope the audience has, but um, at a minimum, it's definitely been good having you around. Thank you. It's so funny that you say that because I was talking about that with someone recently, how I was initially joining the show. I was worried that people would really miss that interview format because there is so much knowledge that you're sharing with the world each time you bring someone new on and you pick a particular topic to do a deeper dive into. But I've noticed that a lot of the shows that I listen to as well have that sort of continuing arc that I appreciate. So, yeah, it's been a very positive experience for me. Uh, So let's see. Another theme for this year. Oh, is prettier. Prettier has by far rocked my world this year, and I'm very excited to keep using it in 2020. It has changed my expectations of all the feedback that I want from my editor and the ease of which I want it to format everything for me, because I'm used to using RuboCop where I want something to handle a lot of those style changes and agreements that I have. And RuboCop will apply some of those, but Prettier on save will automatically apply that formatting. And it's just uh, I love it so much. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I absolutely love Prettier. And I was actually just having a conversation yesterday with someone about a rule that was introduced into the code base related to alphabetical ordering of properties on React components. And my stance was, 
I don't want that rule if Prettier can't do it. Like Prettier has fundamentally changed my opinion on any sort of formatting or non-semantic changes in the code. Uh, so like trailing commas versus not, semicolons versus not, alphabetic ordering, ordering of your imports, anything like that. My rule at this point is if Prettier can do it, sure, whatever. I don't care. As long as I don't have to think about it, that's fine. But if Prettier can't do it, then I am very opposed to that stylistic rule. And it's funny because Prettier recently couldn't do that could not do alphabetic Im- or didn't do alphabetic imports, but now it are not imports, but props. And then I just happened to save a file right after the conversation. I noticed that it reordered the properties. And I was like, whoa, apparently Prettier can do this. And it had just picked it up in the like most recent version. So yeah, I guess I'm fine with that one now, but mostly it's I'm fine with Prettier and I want to only live in a world where there are auto formatters. Uh, but cool. Moving on to my next theme uh, is Elm. I have been digging into Elm as a programming language and as sort of a way of thinking uh, more and more. I absolutely love the strong type system. I absolutely love the 100% commitment to that idea and to no runtime errors and the friendliness of the compiler, the simplicity of the approach, the the very thoughtfulness of the language. Like there's so much about it that I absolutely love. And historically, I think I felt similarly warm feelings about Elm, but I didn't feel it was quite as production ready. Like I think there was still too much missing. There's so much code that exists in the JavaScript ecosystem. How can we possibly compete in an Elm world? And I'm now starting to reconsider that and wonder, is there a way that we can make Elm ready for prime time in a very real, no caveats, no equivocations, like yes, client team, let's use Elm. Uh, and so that's what I'm striving towards. I don't know if I'm going to get there, but that's that's my goal. Oh, I'm curious. What are some of the equivocations that we face now when convincing a client to use Elm? Mostly Elm is different enough and there aren't as many developers out there that like if a team is growing rapidly and they need to hire, they want to have a large pool of applicants that they can bring in and get on board. And so in JavaScript and React, there are a lot of folks out there that you can hire. Elm, there are very few. Most of them work at ThoughtBot. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. There's There are a number of people and it's a growing ecosystem, but it's much, much, it's so much smaller. And so that's a really hard thing that we've seen is just being able to staff projects, especially after we've rotated off. The other thing is just the amount of resources out there. Like one of the things that can be really detrimental to a team is if we're working and we're chugging along and we're building something and then suddenly like file upload which we expect to take a day, suddenly takes a month because we have to build it from scratch. And we expected in the past, we've had a library for that. And I don't know that file upload is actually a good example in Elm. I've not tried it, but it's that sort of thing where you might just hit an edge case of the open source that's available in the community. And suddenly you have to write a lot of code to fill that gap. And that is unfortunate. Yeah, I'm thinking back through the times that we've worked with Elm, and I have heard a couple people worried about that as well. Hiring one's always interesting for me, because on one hand, I agree with you in the sense that companies want to be able to hire developers, but then I also feel like it's so often that companies, like if you're hiring, you're really looking for good people who are interested in the tool that they want to learn. So if you're hiring for Elm, you want to hire people that are, of course, interested in Elm, but don't necessarily need Elm experience to walk into that space. So that one's always an interesting caveat for me. But the resources one is certainly a more challenging one, because when I was working with Elixir and Phoenix back when it was still pretty new, that was one of the challenges we'd run into is I was so accustomed to everything already being a gym in Rails that we had a lot that hadn't been ported over to Phoenix yet. So it certainly did slow us down in some ways. My hope is that like we can find the way to solve those problems and we can get to the place that onboarding people into Elm becomes easier. And I think there are enough benefits to it that if we were able to sell that initial slowdown or that overall, 
Like we move 75% as fast in an Elm project as we would in a React project, but we keep moving that fast forever. It's sort of the equivalent of the story we used to tell about test-driven development is you might not go quite as fast at the beginning. You might not be able to like literally sprint out for the first three weeks of development on the project, but you'll be able to maintain that velocity moving forward. And more and more, that's a thing that I want. I want that stability. I want that robustness and maintainability. And I so dislike that feeling of a system grinding to a halt, of congealing and resisting any refactoring. And suddenly everything, every simple task balloons up and takes so much more time because it's just so hard to work in the code base. And I think Elm, better than any other system that I've worked with, helps with that. So I'm still bullish on it, but yeah. So would you recommend Elm over React? It really depends. Like, I want to. That's the thing that I'm striving towards. And the thing that I'm playing with right now is, this isn't on my list, but GraphQL. That's not one of my (laughs) themes of the year somehow. (laughs) Jumping ahead. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's not. I I decided not to put it on there, but here we are anyway. Um, Wait, you left GraphQL off your list? I do not have GraphQL on my list because it's basically been static for me this year. It hasn't been Uh. a growing or increasing theme. I've been like, yeah, that. That's how I want to build things. Mm. But I have been exploring it with Elm, particularly because Elm decoders having to deal with the JSON serialization and pulling in data from an external system, which any meaningful app that we're building will need to do that, is annoying in Elm. It's a lot of boilerplate code, which is sort of fine, but it's not terribly value add. And what I've seen is there's some really great stuff around code generation and automating that when interacting with a GraphQL API that I think will simplify that in a way that helps sort of like what would be a two-day task to pull some data off the server and render it to the screen can now be you know a two-hour task. So that starts to be a meaningful answer to how do we make this a more viable contender? Because I really, really want to live in that world. Yeah. The compiler's so nice and so friendly (laughs) and so correct. Oh, I'm with you. You're preaching to the choir. (laughs) I'm with you. I absolutely really enjoy Elm, although I haven't gotten to. I'd still love to spend more time. And I guess that's part of the draw or one of the positives I can say about Elm is every time I spend time into it, I always like, oh, I want to spend more time in it. And Mm -hmm. I just want to go back to that world and become even more proficient in it because I've enjoyed my time with it. It's also impacted the way I write Ruby and the way that I write code outside of Elm. What can we do? Um, We can provide more content around our experiences working with Elm that seems to help the community. Historically, that's that's always been the thought about ethos of like, we want to do this thing, but not everyone's doing it yet. Let's talk about it more. Let's blog about it. And frankly, Joel's a one person blogging machine. So he's doing the work, but it takes a lot to sort of cross this chasm. And I'm more hopeful than I have been in the past. And I think the benefits outweigh the costs more than I previously had mm. thought. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to spend a lot more time with it in 2020. But We will see. Maybe it'll be on my list next year. Nice, nice. So for me, something that's a little less technical, uh, but something that has just stuck with me throughout the year is the code hospitality talk that I mentioned in a previous Bike Shed episode, um, a talk that was given by Nadia Ontuayo. I hope I'm saying her last name correctly, but her talk about code hospitality has just stuck with me throughout the rest of the year and has been something at the front of my mind each time I'm joining a new team. And then every time I'm exiting a team, did I improve that space? How can others more easily onboard? And there's a bunch of just topics that fall within sort of that code hospitality. I think it has a lot to do with pairing, which I've done a lot more of this year. And I feel like has helped me level up myself, not just from knowledge, but learning to trust myself more and my first instinct as to when I'm doing an implementation and realizing that that first implementation is probably good enough. That's something that I personally will struggle with where I will do it once and then I will worry that it's not good enough. 
then I'll try to make it better. So yeah, the the code hospitality, if you haven't listened to her talk, please go listen to it. It's definitely been a game changer for me this year and something that I think a lot about. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely second that. That talk is fantastic. I can ride my bike with no handlebars. Oh, I definitely have some regrets, but it's like, <laughs> well, can you really regret anything if you were on the path to life? Why am I using my stupid voice? Uh, <laughs> This is the path that led me to here, and I'm happy to be here, so... I think that was a dopey voice. <laughs> well, I was thinking about myself in the past. That dude's a dope. Can you really regret anything? <laughs> you're on a path to enlightenment. <laughs> well, now you're just putting words in my dopey mouth, and I won't stand for it. Cool, we're off to a great start. Hi, Tom. You left the room for one minute, and here's where we're at. GraphQL questions. I'm not heard of GraphQL. Which is this? <laughs> uh, that's weird. <clears throat> GraphQL, it sounds uh, nifty. I, uh, nope. <laughs> Don't be weird, Chris. You can do it. Should I rewrite my app? No. No. Counterpoint. Next question. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> debate. Oh, and then should I say the cake part too? You absolutely should, and I'll say a normal thing after it. <laughs> You're ready for the normal thing? Yeah. You prepared? Okay. So I'm going to be great at normal. <laughs> <laughs> this got weird. <laughs> it so often does. Uh, switching, I keep doing the ah. 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 One feels like a duck splashing around in all this wet. I don't know if I'm you're... too old to be a duckling. <laughs> oh, fine, I know fine. my John Mulaney. Good, okay, good. Yeah. Treatment of, that sounds serious. Well, I mean, you're talking about an RFC from IETF. Or the treatment of URLs. This is very, very serious stuff. I like how often we end the segment with, thanks, random technology. Thanks, technology. <laughs> You're a great anthropomorphized random technology. I had this concern and then you resolved it. So all in the span of like five minutes of talking to a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Which I didn't read. So oh, Nikes. Good work, the two of us. Like, okay, cool. We're going to go read it now. Let's go read it now. Didn't read it at all. You know, there's so many fun things in life. It's hard to prioritize. Let's, we'll just uh, pause and read it before we respond. We sure that will. That way it'll be fresh. Yes. Exactly. It's better that way. We're just putting the context closer to when we're going to talk about it. <laughs> we're pros. We, we are doing. pros. Uh, although I do love innumerable. Innumerable is the best little way to work with collections. Yeah. So. <laughs> I like the little side note of like love. <laughs> Shout out to Enum. <laughs> Moving on to my next uh, theme, it has been testing. And in particular, I think I can refine that a little bit because testing sort of always been a theme for me. But in the JavaScript ecosystem, the testing library suite of tools, so there's React testing library, which was the original of these, as far as I understand it. Then there's also Cypress testing library, Test Cafe, et cetera. There's a bunch of different mini libraries that have sprung up to provide this same sort of interface to testing. And I think it's just absolutely fantastic. The ethos of testing from a user's point of view, even if we're testing a single component in a React application, still that component is kind of like a mini application in itself. So why not test it as a user would? And only test via the externally verifiable interface and also have accessibility baked right in. There's just some really wonderful things that fall out of it. So overall, Ken C. Dodds' work on testing in the JavaScript community and then the testing library suite of things is just, it's fantastic. You know what I miss, though, with the JavaScript testing world is it's much harder to run one test. It's like impossible. I don't know why. <laughs> I it, it breaks my heart. I don't know why it's that way. I don't know why other folks aren't as heartbroken about it as you and I seem to be. 
I really like the fact that I can watch the test and the interface, like all of that's pretty cool. But yeah, I've just run into so many times where either I have to add like a grep string to the top to make sure it's finding the exact test I want to run. I can also add the only in front of, so it's like describe.only, so it runs just that one test. But it still takes a while. And if I made a mistake with an import, I discovered that this week, where the import was incorrect. And instead of having solid feedback that told me that my test wasn't being loaded for this reason, it was just running all the tests. I was like, I I know. I was like, but I want you to run this one test. And it was just ignoring me. And it was so frustrating. And I think I finally found it because I put in the word pineapple in my test and grepped for pineapple. And then I finally saw in the build report that it was letting me know that there was an error, but it was very hidden. And it took me a while to get there. and was very frustrating. So yeah, I, I wish that it was a bit easier to run one test and have immediate feedback that this test is green or I've done something silly. Yeah, the TDD loop is so much better when you can do that sort of very focused interaction and repeat the test and then refactor a little bit, repeat the test, refactor a little bit, repeat the test. I don't know, maybe we build that next year. <laughs> Never mind, I don't want to build and maintain open source <laughs> testing infrastructure. That seems like one of the hardest things to do. And the folks out there that are doing it are absolute heroes. So while we are uh, commenting on something that we wish were different, my goodness, those folks work hard and deal with some of the noisier things on the internet. So thank you, everyone out there maintaining a testing library or runner. Isn't this what resolutions are for, though, where we say something lofty and that we're going to do it? Oh, but I don't believe in <laughs> New Year's resolutions, so... Ooh, okay. Uh, not that I don't believe in them. It's mostly like goals versus systems sort of thinking. Um, what do you mean? The idea of saying like, I have a goal. I want to write 10 blog posts next year when I'm writing zero right now. That delta is huge and there's very little in that goal that tells me how to get there. Mm. And so I think goals and that sort of thing can be really useful for imagining yourself in that future scenario and sort of getting your mind into that space and thinking about yourself differently. But I think goals are wildly insufficient to actually bring about change. Everything I'm saying is like James Clear is a person who talks about this a lot on the internet. And he's in the like habit forming space, has a book called Atomic Habits that is, I think, one of the better pieces on that. But um, the idea of having leading indicators or what does the process look like as opposed to what is the goal? I want to write 10 blog posts that's not the thing that you should do. Maybe have that as a goal, but then also have within that, I will sit down every Friday morning at 8 a.m. and I will just write. That's it. I don't need to write a blog post. I just need to write. Sit down at this time in this place and do the action. What does the doing look like to get to that done state? So yeah, I, I tend to not make New Year's resolutions. I might have like ideas of where I want to go, but it's more what does day-to-day and week-to-week look like in order to produce the outcomes that I think I want. I think I really like that. So it sounds like instead of making big lofty goals of like, this is the X that I want to achieve, it's more of a habit that you're setting. Like I want to, it's not that I want to write 10 blog posts, but I want to write for an hour each week and see what comes out of that. Maybe it's blog posts, maybe it's not, but I'm at least investing time into this craft, this thing that I want to work on. That's really cool. I like that. Yep. 100% that. Uh, But moving back to our themes for the year, uh, another one that I have been enjoying a little bit more tenuously, but I've definitely been enjoying is TypeScript. I wish it were Elm. I wish it were a stronger type system. But again, I fully recognize the constraints that it's working under. Uh, I'm actually on the app that I'm working on right now. Some files were changed from TypeScript to JavaScript for reasons that are fine. And (laughs) I might undo that down the road. But there was a breakage in a type library and things, which is sort of an unfortunate circumstance that comes out of how TypeScript works. But the files were switched to JavaScript. And immediately, I just felt like I was lost in them. Uh, There were multiple files, and I was making changes in one that needed to be reflected in another, and the system just wasn't telling me about that. It wasn't giving me the feedback. There were stupid, knowable typos and things like that that I was 
the feedback loop was so much longer. And so TypeScript is definitely imperfect, but it's imperfect for reasons that I think are understandable and admirable even. And overall, it's just an incredible piece of technology. So yeah, it's imperfect, but it's a thing that I love these days. So TypeScript. Yeah, I think we have that sort of like higher reoccurring theme, both you and I, where we really appreciate types. Types are one of our favorites and give us more security. And also for me, even though as much as I love testing, I feel like I can write less tests because I'm just far more confident in my system. I'm fine with writing less tests. Uh, What I want is confidence in my system. Tests are a means to get there, but I'm fine with writing fewer tests. Yeah. But yeah, the meta theme of types, absolutely. You have, I think, very correctly identified a thing that is true for me and apparently true for you. So we'll reach our top 10 list. My final other theme, well, I don't want to say final. I'm sure there's others. But for the top 10 list, a single level of abstraction is one of the themes that I've had for this year. And I really have Joel Canville to thank for that one. It is something that he shared with me earlier on the year. I can't remember exactly how the conversation came up, if he was pairing with me and we were working through an Elm problem or if it was feedback on a PR. I believe he's also tweeted about it. He tweets such incredible, like concise nuggets of information on Twitter that he has a lot of great insight there. But the single level of abstraction really stuck with me because I think I was working on a particular function that was in Elm and it was taking in data, but then it was also building up HTML. And while that's not uncommon, there was an opportunity to sort of separate those responsibilities. So it feels akin to the single responsibility principle, but we were in a smaller space where we weren't trying to extract responsibility to another class, but it was more just giving better naming to a function. So one function was focused on constructing HTML, one function was focused on building the data that we needed to go in. So you could focus on, okay, I'm at the HTML building layer, and that's what I know what's happening versus, okay, I'm still working on aggregating the data that I need that's going to then go into the HTML presentation layer. And I've found that that has resurfaced for me frequently when I'm thinking about the functions that I'm writing. It's like, how many layers of abstraction am I working in? Do I have three different things that are happening so it's harder for the reader to follow along? Is there any way that I can abstract these even if it's just into smaller functions? I say even if, but typically that is often what I'll do. I'll extract them into smaller functions, or if it's big enough, then I will reach for another class and push it into its own object that handles that particular job. So yeah, that's been one of my favorites. Is that something, is that a theme that resonates with you? Uh, Yes, very strongly. Um, There are two talks actually that come to mind that sort of have formed the basis of those ideas in my head. One is Seven Patterns for Refactoring Active Record Objects, I want to say. It's a talk by Brian Helmkamp of Code Climate fame. And it's basically just a bunch of different types of ways to decompose big objects in a Rails system. But like, let's pull out a form object. Let's pull out a query object. And it's basically that idea of single level of abstraction. So are we doing query stuff here and HTTP stuff? No, let's separate those and make them two different objects. So it's a slightly more specific form. But I think actually the best thing that comes to mind, and it's weirdly one of the talks that has most impacted my development, is Avdi's Confident Code. In it, he's refactoring just this very simple command line utility, but he overlays with color the different levels of abstraction or responsibilities of the script that he's working on. Like there's some gathering of data, there's some organizing of stuff, there's some printing out to the console. And initially the colors are just interlaced throughout this file. And so you see it's this very disorganized structure. And slowly he refactors it so that those colors are separated, which represents the abstractions being separated. And it's this incredibly concise, almost like visceral example of refactoring. And that has just stayed with me so strongly. 
So it's just the best example of that idea of single level of abstraction. And now that's something like the squint test that Sandy Matz talks about. I use that constantly and I'm always looking like, man, there's a lot of strings, but there's also some symbols here. Why do I have both? Even that level I start to look at. Not that that's actually an abstraction, but like, why am I mixing those two things? Why am I doing a query here and this other thing? And so, yeah, that, that's probably one of the strongest themes in how I look at code and how I try and refactor it. Can you talk more about the squint test? What does that mean to you? Uh, the squint test is if you take a step back from a piece of code that you're looking at, like you have a file open on your editor and you sort of sit back in your chair and you just kind of squint and you see the shapes and often the syntax highlighting adds some color to it. So are there a lot of constants in this file and randomly interspliced or are all the constants grouped together? So in my editor, that would be orange uppercase blocky letters. Are there a lot of strings or are there not? Are there a lot of bare words? So they're just methods in Ruby basically, or is it all of those things kind of mashed together? So it's the color and the shape of things in implying the levels of abstraction. Mm. And so Sandy okay. Matz talks about the squint test as a way to look at your code and say like, does this need to be refactored? We'll kind of squint at it. And if it looks like it's a lot of different colors and shapes, then yes. If it looks like it's very similar in shape and color, then probably not. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've thought of it from the perspective of kind of looking at it from how many if statements, mm. like does it look more mountainous yes where i'm dipping in a lot and then coming back out i hadn't thought about like yeah the constants and the colors and and that as well so that's cool it's funny that i went in that direction because i think actually that like indentation is probably the most clear form of this and so i skipped over that but yes and that all right i i think that's it that's our top 10 themes for the year i really like our list yeah it's a good list it's unsurprising that we really like our list, though, but uh, yeah, it's been a great <laughs> yeah, year. Not that we're biased in any way no. <laughs> about our list. Uh, we left off Ruby and Rails. I feel a little bad about this. My view is that these are things that have changed for this year. So Ruby and Rails have been consistently, they're sort of my go-tos. They remain my go-tos. That hasn't changed in this year, so I didn't put them on the list for that reason. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what 2020 holds for them. I still love them, but I don't know what the world looks like moving forward. Mm, sounds so ominous. Doesn't it? Dun, I think dun, it could be dun. great. <laughs> Rails is such a good idea and so well executed. I'm still a fan. I feel like I'm doing a better job of remembering where yeah. we end up. It's like we're becoming professionals at this or something. Tom's laughing. He's like, yeah, whatever, dudes. <laughs> <coughs> Hi, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> I, that feels like a perfect note to end on, so I'm trying to figure out how to... Okay. Tommy so. can keep out my yeah. Please and thank you. Put that in the yeah file. Cool, cool. <laughs> Please don't include my cool, cool. <laughs> Please include it. Or put it in a special folder of Steph says cool, cool. Cool, cool. Cool, cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, with that, I think we have found... Uh, <clears throat> awesome. Ugh. Nope. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's we're contagious. doing great, Tom. <laughs> uh, <You're> so well. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us once again, Steph. Thank you for having me back. Bye. Bye. <laughs> It's good. There's a thing that happens at the end, so I'll start talking again in the okay. thing that people hear. It's not just going to be... <laughs> but it won't just be our bye. Bye. I mean, I'm sure Tom's going to do something with that. Hopefully internal, because that's weirder, but maybe. I don't know. Who knows what Tom does with things? <laughs> Slash Bike Shed. <clears throat> wow, I must say the name of the company. Not company. It's our podcast. It's a podcast, Tom. You know that. It's an internet radio show. Well, no, the last time you were tired, it went super good. It only took us three minutes to say bye at the same time. <laughs> So no, you didn't say bye at the same It time. happened, Tom. <laughs> we do, and this time the question came to us in the form of Twitter. Are those good English words? <laughs> Via the medium of Twitter, uh, through Twitter. Via what the in kids the form are... of Twitter is, uh, hello, fellow youths. <laughs> what the youths are using these days. 
You're hip to the social medias, right? <laughs> Let's wrap up. Do, 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 do. <laughs> That's the wrap up music. It's good wrap up music. Thanks. That was lovely. That was lovely. I quite enjoy hosting a podcast with you, Steph. Thank you. I've enjoyed it very much. Well, with that, uh, I think we can probably wrap up the episode and wrap up 2019. How's that sound? Let's wrap up the year. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikesha.fm. This show is produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you enjoyed listening, one really easy way to support the show is to leave us a quick rating or even a review in iTunes, as it really helps others find the show. If you have feedback for this or any of our other episodes, you can reach us at at underscore bike shed on Twitter, and I'm at Chris Toomey. And I'm at S. Vicari. Or you can reach us at hosts at bikeshed.fm via email. Thanks so much for listening to The Bike Shed, and we'll see you next year. Happy, Happy New, New Year! year. <laughs> we are cool. We have nonsense captured. Oh, so much. <laughs> what portion of that six hours? That's true. Us? We could just pull from any of that in case we don't have any nonsense for today. Just reach back into the archives of nonsense. Mm. We need fresh. No archival nonsense. We need this bespoke, locally sourced, <laughs> locally recent sourced. nonsense. All podcasts Freeze. are bespoke. Mm. Free studio <laughs> range. I don't know. I got nothing. I'm not good at this game. Nah, it was fine. You did fine. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. Join our team dedicated to creating products people love to use. With open positions at our studios in Boston, New York, San Francisco, Austin, London, and Raleigh-Durham, come discover a better way to work.